Welcome to the Sale Street Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And for more information about our church, visit salestreet.org. Sit and stand. I want to make sure we always know exactly what our time of worship means. When you sing these words and when you see these words, there is great length of preparation and praying over it, making sure the very songs that we sing are biblical and theologically sound and they mean something. So it's to be coming forth in worship and song, to go before the throne of God in your heart and your mind, be it wherever our limitations are physically, we mentally connect with God and our Savior through song and through worship. So I don't want to always just make these times of transition from worship to preaching, a simple transition of prayer and you listen. It is a time for all of us right now to Ask God for forgiveness of sin. Ask God for a helping hand in something you're dealing with. Ask God to reconnect you in some way if need be. Ask God to set you in the right path and motion through the power of the Holy Spirit by His Son, Jesus Christ. It's your time to speak to God. Have a moment with God as we've praised God. So I'll ask the praise team to come down. We could just be with God in our moment, in our time and recognize that we are privileged we are blessed and we are very humble that we have the opportunity to hear these words in our native tongue to be attached to the gospel of Jesus Christ at our fingertips be it physically or digitally that we should just be in great awe that God hears our voices and knows our names and hears our prayers. So in this time, let us pray. Holy, wonderful Father, may we be humble before you. May we seek your presence. May we seek your great counsel. May we acknowledge the fact of how wonderful and powerful and merciful you are. May we know that all things are in you and by you all things are made new and whole. And Father, may we just rest in the fact of who you are and what you are. Let us lean towards you lean into you. Let us ask for forgiveness of sin. Let us plead for the Holy Spirit to help us in, time, in our time for repentance. Let us be open to your word and let us know that you are our leader. You are our pastor. You are our God. You are the headship of all things. That nothing here moves or breathes or speaks without your say-so. Without you, we are nothing. Let us be satisfied in that. Let us be grateful of that. And thank you, Father, for being such a good, good Father, a good God, and having mercy and grace on our souls. 
And thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice and the resurrection of his body and spirit to a renewed kingship, Father, that just builds forth the bridge that connects us back to your presence, forgives us and washes us of all of our sin. Oh, Father, we are grateful for you. We thank you. And let this time, this word, these songs, these hearts, these minds, all be for you, and may you be the greatest power in this room, in this church, and in this community. We love you and we praise you. It's through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so let's open up to the book of Acts, chapter 18. I'm going to go through one through, um, what am I going through? Through 17, sorry. I've got three little things I want to hit on. I'm excited, too, because we get to do the Lord's Supper this morning. So I've got about an hour sermon for you, then about a 45-minute presentation, and then Justin's introducing three new songs. So, okay. All right. No, we're not doing that. But be good. So we're going to read through these sections here. Paul traveling into Corinth. If you don't know, on Tuesday mornings at, can't am I correct, 6 a.m., so yeah, at 6 a.m. and Tuesday morning, the preaching team gets together here at Sale Street Baptist Church. That's myself and Kent and Jeff Bankins and Andrew Mattingly with Paul Pettifer and Lucas LaCour. We all get together and we're studying through the same scriptures and we're talking about what we see in the verses and, you know, just going through it. And then that, then we pray with that person who's going to be preaching that week. And, uh, if, you know, it just, it's a connection. It's a pluralistic uh, team effort. And it's uh, just so good to know that, like, if I woke up this morning going, I don't want to do this, I would have called Kent or Paul and said, you're up. No, that's not what it's for. But it's just a great blessing to know that, we, that, that even before Sunday morning comes, there's a, there's a group of us gathering together early in the morning, going through the scripture with this, going through it. And um, it was kind of brought like we were going through this. And before I even read the scripture, I'll just say like, we wanted to make sure that we understood as we're going through the book of Acts with each other right now, that we're not just giving our community, our congregation, our, our, our church things for you to do. You should do this and you shouldn't do that. We're, we're trying to make sure that we don't just say, like, this is what you need to be like and this is what you don't need to be like. We want to make sure you get the heart of it and that you're falling in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what is propelling you and compelling you and pushing you and driving you. Like, um, I don't know, raise your hand if you come in through that entrance right there to come to church in the morning. Because some come to that. You know, get them up. All right, so you all get to meet Paul out there. Was Paul singing this morning? I don't know. I go the opposite way because Paul's singing. I'm just kidding, Paul. Was he saying, Mike, you said he was singing? All right. Like, okay, so I need volunteers for the next few weeks to take Paul's spot and go out there and just sing as people drive up. I guarantee you, there's, you know, I get some gifts. There's not going to be a line of people. Annabelle, you're up? Okay, you're up for next week. Okay. All right, not a lot of people do that. But, and, and this is not let's show off Paul or let's show off Tim or Kent or the preaching team. It's just that love 
for the gospel, that love to be able to come together and congregate and see what God is doing in us and with us and for us and all this stuff, propels someone to go out with no team, with no like fog machines and laser light show and just sing as you drive up. And we all know that the greatest gospel moment of Christians' lives are from the house to the church in the car. We know that is when everybody is their most biblical person. The kids are happy. Everything is just working. And like, you're just, you know, Abraham is our father. He's singing all the songs and you pull up and Paul's like, yes, he's just adding to it. Right. Or is it just that great reminder you get out of the car car, and Paul's singing out there and you're like, all right, everybody act like we love each other. (laughs) You know, because we don't do this because we have to. Many moons ago, I preached a sermon, and it was basically, we get to. We get to do these things. And as we go through the book of Acts, it was a great reminder with my brothers that morning to just be able to hear and know, like, we're not trying to do this because this is what we have to do or what you should do. We're doing it because we get to do it. And the gospel makes us passionate people. We're all passionate people when you're in love with Christ And you all have the capability to do great and mighty passionate things when Christ abides in you. There's that Lindsay singing up there. I cast out my burdens to you so you can do great things through me. Give me your burden. We sang it. Like I said last week, how song neurologically changes our, our spirit. It positively charges us. And that's what the gospel does. So keeping that in mind, we read this and just think about Paul in this scenario. Think about his passion. Think about Silas and Timothy. Think about this power couple that we get to meet this morning. Well, they've been in other areas of the Bible. You've met them in Romans and Corinthians. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to him, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. <laughs> I stopped there because I've, I like to also, when I do my scripture preparing for a message with you guys, um, I'll listen to it constantly on an audio Bible. And if any of you have that and you get to this point, the, the narrator always likes to read it like, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. You know, and I'm like, man, like Paul's passionate there. You know, um, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So I don't read it like that, but you know, okay. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Tedious Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. And together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. 
for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, oh, Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and he drove, he drove them from the tribunal, and they all see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. All right, so I want to just, you know, typical way, three, it's three things, but it's really six things. But um, you're going to see this, that I, how I wrote this. I don't want to sit here and put so much stuff on it to where we kind of miss the, the beauty of what Paul, what is happening here with Paul. All right, so should have had this set up a little bit time before. All right, so when you look at these three, and I want to break this down in three specific little paragraphs. It's easy for us to kind of comprehend and see this. From verse one to verse four, verse one to verse four, when you see that Paul left Athens, he goes to Corinth, he hooks up with a uh, Aquila and Priscilla, this power couple, basically. This, I say that because that's what we said in our thing. Like this, what, what a great blessing it must be when that, and Paul in his ministry, he gets to hook up with people that are going to support him, help him. Like we need that. Like we, 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 under, we understand the need that when you look at something that just looks like, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to do this? And God just puts the right people at the right time in your life. What we need to be very careful of is not to just glorify that process of, for, of, of, of those people. We need to give thanks and praise to God and say, thank you. Thank you for this community. Thank you for this congregation and fellowship of help. We sometimes tend to want to run away from that kind of help and, 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 and gathering of people because many reasons. We don't want someone to tell us no. Uh, we don't want people to see us truly that we need, have uh, a need, right? A lot of us struggle with that. Like I, uh, we think it's kind of like a, a good thing when we say, I don't want to ask help from anyone. We weren't built like that. That's not how God created this creation. We were built to help each other and be helped by one another. One of the greatest things that happened to me and Ken after the storm, when we were trying to figure out how do we get to all of our church members? How do we make sure everybody's, I mean, we were simply with our, uh, with our, 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 our older um, congregational members, making sure that their prescriptions were getting to them. Make, you know, just getting their medicine out of Baton Rouge or Houston so that they could keep their, their medicine. And it was just a great deal to get phone calls from pastors all over the country. And the first thing they would tell us and give us advice is, you need to let us serve you. You normally are the ones that want to jump in there and say, okay, let's go to work. But you need to be served. You need to let us serve you. And we were able to 
assist and help way better when we allowed people to help us. I mean, the whole point for Samaritan's Purse being here is to help us so that we can help more people, but it just drives us. It, 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 it's a great thing to have. So when Paul meets uh, Aquila and Priscilla and comes together, no matter the circumstances, no matter that Claudius drove them out of Rome and bad situations, whatever, turned into something really good. I love that. We got to see that, how God turned that bad situation into something good. I don't even like to say God turned a bad thing into something good. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. God knew that they were going to hook up and start this church in Corinth. So what I see here is when Paul doing this, we see with Paul, this first section, one through four, a life for Christ. Paul is living a life for Christ. All right. Now that's the thing that, that I could stay on. That's the community thing. Today, this morning, we're going to do the Lord's Supper, something that is a twofold thing. It's something that we do as a community, but it is also something you must understand and go through individually. The Lord's Supper is both community and individual. And when I read these scriptures, I see that too. I see that we have Paul and Aquila and Priscilla in this life for Christ. But personally, They're in this life for Christ because they know the gospel. So as a community, as a church, we need to be be all on board to have our, our church's life, our fellowship, all that we do for the life of Christ. It needs to be point, it needs to point everything to the life of Christ. Not to our our speakers and our computers and our buildings. It needs to like look at Christ. Look at Christ. But individually, on a personal level, we need to know the gospel. We need to know the gospel. And don't rely on the guy with the microphone to be your, your, the, the presenter of the gospel just to you. It can't just be this one Sunday thing. Too many pastors out there, too many speakers out there have this great burden that they have to bring the greatest sermon every week because too many Christians out there, that's their only time reading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Community-wise, as a church, I want our church's life to be about the life of Christ. But personally, I want you to know the gospel. And we see that through one through four. But then when we read five, excuse me, um, I'd say five through uh, eight here, when Silas and Timothy arrived to Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. He's testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And he starts to get what? This opposition back, Right? It's opposition. We've talked about Paul's opposition. We talked about how he was mission-minded, focused, right? But he's getting his op- opposition, and he goes, your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. And then he's like, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm going right out to the Gentiles. You can take that how you want a little bit or whatever. You know, we're going to break this down real quick. But, you know, like, like maybe he took his ball and he was leaving, I'm going there. You guys don't want it. I'm going here. You know? But they opposed him. He opposed it. He rebukes them back. But right next door to the synagogue, we meet Titius Justus, a worshiper of God who belongs to the synagogue, lives lives next door. And Crispus, the ruler of synagogue, believed believed in the Lord together with his entire household, Becomes believers, I said verse eight, but I meant to actually go to verse 11. This is my next 
point. Um, the Corinthians hearing Paul, they believed and they were baptized. And the Lord speaks to Paul and he says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. First off, thanks be to God that no matter what is happening, he knows us. One of my greatest stories to read in the Bible is Job. And when you read through Job, there's, it's, it's long. But in the very beginning, which I have so many questions when I get to heaven, so many questions. I want to know where this, if you never read Job, I'm asking you to, but those that have, you know, it's like this angelical meeting is taking place and Satan shows up to it and God's like, where you been? Oh, you know, going to and fro on earth, this, that, and the other. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? Now, all of us who have read the book knowing like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. Anybody in this room want to be Job? I do. No, seriously, I do for one reason. Because in the beginning of it all, God said, have you considered my servant Job? The Bible teaches us that we're going to suffer. But in the very beginning of it all, before Job's response, before Job did anything and before the attack happened, he said, that's my servant. I would pray that you would all come to the fact you want to be Job because God knew his name and, Job, and God called him his. No matter what we lose or gain in this world, if God has us, we have victory in Jesus, right? See how amazing we want to shrug off Job. I don't want to be Job. I want God to say, have you considered my servant, Tim? Many will come to me and say, but we, we confess in your name. We prophesy in your name. We, we exercise demons in your name. Okay, look, I've done a lot in ministry, but if someone calls me and says, hey, I have a demon-possessed person. I need you to come. I'm like, Jeff, you, you home? These people did it, and God says, depart from me, for I never knew you. I want, to, I want to hear, welcome home, good and faithful servant. I want to be a servant of God. I want him to know my name. And he says right there, I have many in this city who are my people. Don't be silent. Don't be quiet. So in this whole section, from Silas and Timothy arriving to Paul being rebuked and Paul responding back to Titius Justice coming as a worshiper of God, Crispus, the house, house, um, ruler of the synagogue, him and his whole entire household being baptized, and then God speaking to Paul himself. We see that Paul's life, Aquila's life, Priscilla's life, Crispus' life, Justice's life is led by Christ. Their life is for Christ. Their life is led by Christ. Many of us would have said, I'm, I'm not, I just, I've done enough. I'm, I'm tired. I'm done. And they go. So as a church, as a community, as brothers and sisters, we are to be led by Christ. But individually, we should be living for the gospel. Not just knowing the gospel, but be living for the gospel. We should have no problem 
being pulled out into the parking lot of the church and said, sing a song. It's going to sound terrible, but I'm going to sing. We should live for the gospel. If we know it, we got to live it. So we, we gather as a congregation for the life of Christ, to be led by Christ. But individually, we are a congregation made up of believers who know the gospel and live in the gospel. We live in it. We live for it. We are passionate about it. And then we wrap it in the third section here. But when Galileo was pro-council of Achaia, the Jews bring Paul before him. They want him to be punished. And said, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. I mean, when Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue and his whole entire household become actual believers, that probably sent shockwaves across the realm. Minds blowing. People like, what? Crispus? Are you kidding me? More of the Corinthians come, well, I'm going to go hear this Paul. But those other individuals are just still will not let down their bitterness, will not let down their attack. No matter what their eyes are showing them, they will not. They're going to hold true to what they feel is right. I say, I I tell you all this, I tell my kids, even myself, do you want to be right or do you want to be righteous? Do you want to be part of the hope? Or do you want to just be a voice that gets mad when it messes with your identity? The gospel of Jesus Christ should step on our toes, our flesh, every single day. We spoke in our Sunday school this morning talking about, I've never actually, I've gotten to fly over it, you know, military-wise, our little helicopters all around, but I've never got to stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Never. In fact, my my in-laws would bring um, my wife and, and her sisters to it and um, my wife tells me this day she wished she would have appreciated more, but, you know, things like that. It was a long drive. <laughs> but I could just, when you stand, I've never done, I want to do it. Stand on the edge and look. And one of, my, one of the people in our class said, yeah, it just makes you feel so small. And I asked them, did you feel good about that? And they were like, yes. Isn't it amazing how God wires us that when we feel our smallest, we feel our most satisfied. When we look out and see the wonder, you know why? Because when we look around and see what's right in front of our face, it doesn't, it just messes with us, right? And we say it ought to be different. And it ought to be. But when we look out and get a glimpse of the wonder of God, we're most satisfied. This is John Piper puts it. When we most glorify him, we are most satisfied. That's why when we sing and you're really singing, you feel so good. So good. You're not like, oh, I'm, I'm probably out of key. Like, as Justin puts it, most people don't even know what key is. Just sing. Just sing. And so these individuals who bring him before the tribunal are missing the beauty of what God is doing. They are sitting there their whole lives waiting for the coming Messiah and haven't realized he's come and he's risen and he is calling and there is hope. Nope, nope, the law, the law, what you should and should not do. Nope, you're wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right. 
That anger builds up so much, they bring him before this person. Galileo is not a good guy. It's not like, oh, well, he, look, he was good. He didn't attack Paul. Man, at the end of it, uh, Sosthenes is brought before him and beaten, and he just watches it. This is not a good guy. He's power-driven. He's got pride in him. It's probably much easier for him to be like, sure, fine, put him in the dungeon. I don't care. But it's amazing how God orchestrated the whole thing. God said, I'm going to use this guy. I'm going to put this guy in a power broker position. I'm going to bring Paul before him, and this guy's not going to touch him. There's nothing you're going to do. And so when we look at this and we understand something too that I kind of, I I did a disjustice here. Guys, I want to make sure y'all see here. Um, In verse 11, he says he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So um, I think it was Andrew put it in our group that like, you know, as we read these sections of scripture each week, it seems like this thing is just flying by. You know, he's there and then he jumped over here and then this. It's kind of really important for us to realize he was there for some time. A year and six months, he embedded himself and he did this. And there's a lot of this scripture that we could talk about being by vocational ministry, working and doing ministry and all that. But I just wanted to sum that up for that the life we have, our life is for Christ. Our life is led by Christ. And then when we read this section, when he's brought before the tribunal and they're still trying to attack him and all these things happen, this, this church's life is devoted to Christ. Like when they went before the tribunal, they didn't say, okay, 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 we'll stop. They were devoted to Christ. But on an individual level, again, we're knowing the gospel, we're living in the gospel, and we're loving the gospel. Loving the gospel. So when I read this to you here, and you look at this scripture, I really didn't want to overplay it. I really wanted you to see how this plays out for our congregation, but mainly how individually this plays out for you as a servant of Jesus Christ, as one who God said to somebody somewhere out there, that's a song, don't stop, keep going. Because Tim Robles is in this city and I've called his name and you're going to get to him. I was 26 years old. I, I, I've been through it. I didn't like the church, but many things. But John Webb just never stopped. Never stopped. John wasn't the guy who was like, I'm just going to live a good life in front of Tim. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to let him see. No, John was, he brought it with passion. And I attacked him on every level. And he never swayed. He was devoted to it. And it changed my life, which then affected the life of my wife, which then affects my children, which then will affect my grandchildren and the generation and the generation to come. Because we're devoted as a as a congregation to the life, the leadership, and the devotion to Christ. And personally, we are to know and love.
and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're to be passionate about it. So I'm going to ask my brother Kent to come up and any other elder that Kent has asked to do this and